Welcome in. It's the Magic Weekly Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Chapman. Monday, December 9th, the Magic coming off their best week of the season, really 3-0 and since last we spoke. Wins over the Wizards, the Suns, and the Cavaliers. And this week, you got the big boys, the red-hot Milwaukee Bucks on Monday in Milwaukee, and then home for the Lakers Wednesday and the Rockets Friday night. My guest today, the co-host of the Scale and Pals podcast with Brian Scala, Brady for Radio.com, formerly of ESPN Radio, SVP, and Rosillo, basically all the Rosillo vehicles. He is Steve Cerruti, and he joins me today on Magic Weekly. What's up, man? Not too much, man. Thanks for having me on. Excited to be on. Absolutely. Thanks for joining me. I, I think I've asked you this before, but are you originally from Florida? How are you a Magic fan in the in the first place? <laughs> no, so I'm from Connecticut, so we don't, you know, I didn't subscribe to the New York-Boston thing. I just kind of did my own thing when I was a kid. So pretty much any team that was, like, good when I was five or six was, you know, kind of got my loyalty for the rest of my life. So, so you're, a Hornets a, fan, a you're a Hornets fan second then, right? <laughs> yeah, yep, exactly. <laughs> So I, yeah, so I, it was Penny and Shaq, and then it really, T-Mac really cemented at home, and like a lot of that had to do with like NBA Live back in the day, too, but uh, I just kind of stuck with them, and then through the Dwight era and all that stuff, so I don't like any teams from the Northeast, I'm kind of scattered all over the country, so the Magic have my allegiance. No, that's good, I think it's, um, I think it's, for somebody who was born where you were, it, it takes a, it takes a big man to, to stand and, and, and face the, uh, uh, the Red Sox, Yankees, Celtics, Knicks, and, and look I, for right now, Steve. I, nobody wants to be a Knicks fan. I mean, <laughs> I think that's, yeah. you probably made the right decision as far as that goes. Yeah, listen, I lucked out on the Knicks thing. I looked out on you know a few early in my life. I looked out on the Red Sox thing, although not later. But uh, yeah, you know, it's it, you know, I just never, I just never gravitated to any of those teams. And 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 like literally, like I'm a 49ers fan. Football doesn't make any sense, but it was just Steve Young. So listen, I'm you can call me a homer when I was like, you know, five or six, but at least I've stuck, uh, you know, stuck with my teams and stayed loyal. Yeah, absolutely. And and the front runner thing, because I'm from Cleveland originally, and so there, you know, LeBron was a Yankees fan and a Cowboys fan. And there are plenty of people <laughs> like that. But as long as you stuck with the Magic, like you know. If you had said, I'm a Lakers fan, a Niners fan, and a Yankees fan, you know, I might have said, eh, I don't know what we're doing here, but um, the oh, Magic. I've, I've got plenty of buddies. I've got buddies, yeah, that, that are, what is it, Yankees, Cowboys, Notre Dame football, right. uh, you know, Bulls, basketball. It's like, okay, dude, like we got to grow up in the 90s. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's funny, though, because I, I, the starter gear and the 90s and the Hornets and all the, ma- I mean, if you're 10 years old, if you were born in 84 like I was, like, that was it. That was all that mattered. G- give me the oh, cool yeah. new jerseys. Uh, it's funny. Were you a Teal Pistons fan? I had James Edwards on, who covers the Pistons, and he wrote this big thing in the Athletic about the Teal era uh, in the '90s. And I was like, you know what? That was the one ugly jersey that I never liked, and I never gravitated towards. Maybe it was just because it was the Pistons. Yeah, I, I I never understood that look whatsoever. Right. Like it's like they went with the weird. It was it was almost like a like a hodgepodge of different. It was like a rainbow, I guess, in a way. And I you know they always had such great jerseys in the '80s. I didn't really understand why they went that way. So no, I wasn't, but I did like the Hornets, and I like the Hornets now a lot. And I had both the Orlando Magic and the San Francisco 49ers starter jacket, so I was fully, uh, I was fully on board with the starter gear. Steve Cerruti, my guest here on Magic Weekly. All right, let's talk some hoop. Um, good week for this team, and obviously you're still waiting for Nick Vucevic to come back, but you and I were talking a little bit before air. Um, it, I think probably 22 games in with the injuries that you've had so far, um, with the change to the starting lineup, five games in, Markel Fultz in, you'll take... 11 and 11 through 22 games and then the idea that Nick Vucevic is going to come back I don't think Steve it's going to upset the apple cart as as far as the offense goes I think probably Vuce just slides back in and you can kind of grow, build on what you've been uh, developing with Vuce out so far 
Yeah, so, you know, 11 and 11, like, if you told me that before the season, I think I'd be disappointed. I thought that they would be I, – I said that I thought they would be pushing for maybe a gap of pushing for a top half of the playoff seed, so a top four seed. Maybe they wouldn't have gotten there, but I thought that they would be better than this. And just because I, I believed in the second half or that, like, that, the last, you know, quarter of the season last year, I believed that that was kind of the magic team. That was the for real team. And, you know – I think defensively they were there, but I didn't anticipate them being like, you know, for most of the season below the Knicks is the worst, you know, offensive team in the league. I mean, they were, they were horrific. They couldn't, they could not shoot. I mean, I think they are still one of the worst teams as far as like wide open threes and wide open shots missed. Uh, So, I mean, I I knew that that would sort of correct itself. I just didn't think it would start off that poorly, but given you're right, given the injury, even missing Aaron Gordon for a little bit, given the injury to Booch, like 11 and 11, especially since, you know, this nice run that they've just been on where, you know, Evan Forney is, obviously you know scorching hot which is which is great and so i'll take 11 and 11 although before the season i thought that they would be a little bit better um i they have like a tough stretch coming up here i know they're playing the bucks uh monday night and you know they've got a tough run going i'm still you know i think i think the good thing about this team is that defensively you can really kind of count on them being in games night and night and it just is going to depend on on how well they shoot and if if guys like fournier can keep up the hot streak but um, I really like the the move for Marco Fultz to the starting lineup. I'm sure we'll get to that a little bit more. I like the tweaks that Clifford has made to the to, to the team a little bit, and it seems that everyone is sort of rounding into form offensively. Um, so I, I still I I'm still very confident in this team. Like I you know I, I think sort of the top six in the East is kind of what they are, but I do think the Magic are. I, I don't think there's really anybody. I know it's early to say this, but I don't. I still pretty you know feel pretty confident about them being a playoff team for sure. How are you approaching Fultz? Like, you see these flashes, and I think one of the things I love most about him is that late in games, like, he wants the ball in his hands, and he wants to be checking the guy with the, with the ball uh, on the opposite team. He seems like he, he kind of turns it on uh, in crunch time. Is it like, I feel like it's like, I don't even want to call it cautious optimism with Fultz right now. It's almost like cautious exuberance. Like, you're just waiting to, to celebrate the fact that the Magic have the number one pick from two years ago, and he's healthy, and he's starting to show you uh, why he was the number one pick. Are you, like, sort of, like, tiptoeing into excitement about Markel Fultz right now? <laughs> so... Um, I was pretty optimistic when the trade happened. I loved the trade, and even if it didn't work out, I still would have loved the trade because I didn't give anything up, and I just think he's a guy that needed to change his scenery. And, you know, that was – I think point guard was a, a position, especially playmaking type guy like he is, was a, was a major need. So I was like, okay, it's pretty much all gravy if they get anything from him. Uh, so – and coming into this year, I had talked to – like there was a guy – like we were um, – we had Karan Butler on who has worked with Mark Elfel on, uh, on our show, Scallon Pals, and he was really, really high on him coming this year, saying, hey, he's going to win comeback player of the year, like this guy's back. Mm. And then, you know, I saw the shooting videos, the offseason, and I'm like, all right, like, they're going in, but they don't look great. So as I, I wanted to be real, I was optimistic, but I was, I was definitely not getting, you know, my hopes up too high. But, I mean, I, I'm just kind of amazed at how, what the impact that he can have still without being a, without being a great three-point shooter. And I, and I still think he's going to be, it'll get better. He'll get more confident because you can see his confidence pretty much game in, game out, getting, you know, getting higher and higher. But I almost think he doesn't even necessarily need the three-point shot. I mean, it would be, it would be great if he did eventually develop it and sort of fix it. I think it still looks kind of ugly. But he's shooting so well from two. He's one of the best guys at getting to the rim and finishing at the rim. He's a great playmaker. He pretty much gets to wherever he wants on the court. And on top of that, he's a pretty solid and disruptive defensive player as well. So 
I, I'm, I don't think it's ridiculous to say like he's a he's a good starting point guard in the NBA right now. I, I think I think you know for people to have said that before the season, you'd be like, yeah, I'm not sure I'm ready to go there. I think he's solidly in that category of guys who are just solid starting point guards. And the good thing is he still has all this growth to have. I mean, this is really he hasn't even played a full season's worth of games yet, and this is his third year in the NBA. So. You know, I think it's sort of the perfect environment for him to sort of grow, and I think the team around him works really well. So I'm, I'm, I guess I'm less cautiously optimistic. I'm just plain old optimistic, and I think making the move and putting him in the starting lineup was, was a great move by Steve Clifford, as I said, because I, as much as I like DJ Augustine, I just think there are limitations with him, and and I, I do kind of like what he brings some, you know, what he can potentially bring from the bench. I know he had sort of a slow start there, but I'm really high on Fultz. And listen, if he if he just stays at this player, he's a solid player. But I do believe he'll get better, and you know, hopefully that jump shot gets a little bit, you know, gets a little bit cleaner because it's still a little ugly right now. But that's really the only complaint that I have. Do you think in in certain ways, like Orlando was the ideal spot for him? I mean, obviously he needed out of Philadelphia, oh, yeah. but it also felt like if he had ended up in you know Chicago, for instance, he might not have had this sort of, I don't know, it, the organization catered to him and, and just sort of said, you know, clear your mind, just go out and ball, and we're not going to worry about any of the crap that you had to deal with in Philadelphia. I think Orlando in a lot of ways was ideal. Oh, I would 100% agree because they didn't need him right away. They still had a veteran point guard there. Um, and, you know, they're, they're still somewhat of a young team. And, you know, even even guys like Gordon, Isaac, you know, I, I think, like, this isn't a team that's, that, that, that really there's any pressure to their, – their goals are just to basically make the playoffs, right? right. So, you know, he's really coming into a, a team. And, and and I just think they, they, they desperately needed what he brought to them. So that's why I think I was so excited when it happened. So, yeah, you're right. I don't think there was a more perfect spot for him. And, you know, I, I as much as I like to clown around about Philly and, you know, basically getting nothing out of that trade, they did do they did do good by him. I mean, they had he he clearly needed to be somewhere else. He was clearly never going to be the guy in Philadelphia because of all the pressure and because of just like all the noise around it. Like I think there's a lot of guys in sports where they're just not comfortable where they're at and sometimes it's best for both parties to sort of part ways and you know, as much as it must be annoying for Sixers fans to see Fultz do you think, you know, in their heart of hearts, they'll be like, listen, you know, he needed to do this. He needed to get away. It didn't work out with us. It sucks that it didn't work out. But I think most people around the league are happy to see him having some success. It's the Magic Weekly Podcast. Steve Cerruti, my guest. When you think about the way the front office has kind of built this thing and, and the way, what they did this summer, bringing back Vooch and bringing back Terrence Ross, it's, you know, you look around and I've always said, you, you know, are you coming or are you going? You, you got to have a plan. You got to have a timeline. And we've seen Philadelphia is probably a good example. Um, Phoenix, for instance, you know, if you just have a bunch of kids and you're like, this is going to be our young core and we're going to develop it in four or five years from now, we're going to be Oklahoma City uh, from, you know, eight years ago. If, if you do it like that, it's very, very risky. And basically what uh, Weltman and Hammond have done is they've built this sort of core of veterans, basically bring back everybody from last year from, um, you know, a team that finished the season 22 and nine. And they were one of the best teams in the league second half of the year. But then you also see the future, right? So now you have the veterans in place uh, with Vooch and Terrence Ross and Evan Fournier. But then you see, you know, Fultz, Isaac, um, you know, Bamba to a lesser extent. That's what it's going to look like four or five years from now. It's, it makes a lot of sense when you explain it that way. But yet people don't do it that way, Steve. I, I, I feel like it's, um, it, it's almost a novel concept. Like, yes, let's have veterans and young players uh, on our roster. Yeah, I mean, the, I, I understood why they – Signed why they, why they basically resigned everybody and brought everybody back. I mean, you have to. You make the you, first time you make the playoffs in years, well, six years, and 
Like you, you can't just say, okay, well we did this, let's kind of rebuild our thing or we don't like, cause as much as I, I, for all the, I think shortcomings that Vooch has, or even Aaron Gordon has, like, I do think that, you know, there's still value there. And I still think that at their worst, that, that this roster wasn't, like I said, was a playoff team. Um, I, I like the way the roster is constructed in a lot of ways. Cause I do think they're somewhat flexible. I would still, you know, I, I'd be interested to see like if, if they kick the trade market on some of these guys though, like I, I, I could Aaron Gordon gives me like the Victor Oladipo vibe in that I feel like he is a player who it, is ever going to be is it ever going to come fully together in Orlando? You know what I mean? Like I think we see Flash like the other night he goes five for five from three and he's got like thirty two points and he's he's basically this unbelievably well rounded player. The guy that we're like, okay, why can't we see this more consistently? Not necessarily five for five from three, but why can't we see that more consistently? So I, and I think you know, that was kind of the same feeling I had with Oladipo where I'm like, okay, I see flashes there. Like, can, can he put it all together? So the way, the way that this roster is built, I do think that they have flexibility. I think they're going to make, I think they're going to look to see what they can do in the trade market because I still am not sure that all the pieces necessarily fit well together. And as, and I, you can't, I, I just feel like you can't hold your hat defensively as being the only thing, your only calling card. At some point, you need to score enough points, and I think they're going to have to get there with a move. I don't know what that move is, but I wouldn't be surprised because Aaron Gordon is one of the most you know friendly contracts in the league. I think his the, the year over year his, his his salary just goes down and down and down. So, I, and I, I've I've heard there's a lot of interest from him around the league uh, as well, and I, I think rightfully so. So. I like the roster. I like the way that they put it together with veterans because I do think the even the Aminu signing, I'm like, okay, I see that. I understand he's a win-now player, a good team guy. Um, but they also have some guys that they can potentially build around the future, although I'm not super high on, on Bamba. But I, I do like the way the roster is, is put together, and I feel like that they can, they're at least, they can at least be flexible to add a piece or, or mix things up if they want to. With Gordon, is it as simple as, like, if you're going to shoot from the perimeter, spot up. Don't dribble before you shoot. Or, I mean, oh. it, you know, like night to night, it's, that's the whole thing. Like when, he, when the ball moves and when he's snapping the ball and when he's catching and shooting and being decisive, it's one thing. But then when he starts pounding the uh, air out of the rock, he, it just sort of stalls the entire offense. Is that kind of your, your number one gripe? Yeah, it's one of those things where, like, just because you can do it doesn't mean that you should always do it. Right. <laughs> you know, like, it's a, it's a really cool, it's a really nice wrinkle to his game that he, he has a, you know, 3-4 combo guy with that athleticism can also take guys off the dribble, but I still think he takes a lot of bad shots. I think what ha- I think so- sometimes what happens, too, is, like, he just, you know, he, he, he gets one-track minded, and he'll be like, all right, I'm taking this guy off the dribble because I'm more athletic than him, and I, I, that's just not, to me, what his game is or what he should be doing. And I think it takes guys a lot of time to realize like what their bread and butter is in the league. I think he's sort of starting to figure that out, but he'll still have these lapses. And honestly, it's the whole team sometimes because I think you know uh, Terrence uh, Terrence Ross does this. Even Fournier, though he's been on fire recently, does this. Like they just take some bad shots, and I'm like, what? Like why wouldn't you run any sort of offense there? Why would you just take like a deep contested two? Um, so they're they're a frustrating team to watch for sure. And, but, but with Aaron, I just think, yeah, it's like, what are, what are you sort of good at? Like, and I think, you know, it takes good coaching to be, be able to sort of convince a guy that like, Hey, like, no, this is your lane. You should stay in your lane. And you could pretend, cause I think he could potentially be an all-star if he does do that in the right system. I'm not sure if the system is Orlando, but like, I, I you know, I look at the way like they use that the Warriors have used Draymond Green. Like it's a similar sort of way. Like he, he can be a playmaker. He can sort of, you know, be that guy that brings the ball up and initiates some offense, but also he hangs his hat on defense and hitting open shots and sort of being like a team first guy. 
And that's what I think Aaron is. That's where I think he's going to be at his best. And it just takes time to figure that out. But, um, you know, I, 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 I love his game. I, I really do. And I, and I want it to work out. I just have, I just, I don't know. I just always have questions whether or not it'll all be put together in Orlando. It's an interesting comparison because one of the things that, you know, if you don't watch Aaron night to night, I don't think people realize that he is a really good passer. He's a good passer off the bounce mm-hmm. too. Um, when he gets into into traffic and creates from there. But again, it goes back to that decision-making, like, go, go, go. And that's what I think that's the difference with Draymond. Like, Draymond does not hold the ball. He gets it. He moves it. And then, yes, yep. he will knock down an open shot. And obviously, you know, defensively, Draymond's on a, a whole nother level. But um, that's an interesting comparison. I'm going to keep an eye on that. Uh, moving forward, because look, it's it's as simple as like you know, run some elbow stuff for him, and and again, like you just keep the thing moving, and I think everything's fine. But you see, you know, and uh, Evan does it at times, Terrence Ross does it at times. You know, the ball just stops, and this is a team. It's got to be like an egalitarian offense because there isn't a guy that you feel comfortable just like here, go get me a bucket. Um, obviously, that ball's got to keep moving. Steve Cerruti, my guest here on Magic Weekly. All right, when you like. When you think about the future, obviously Markel Fultz is part of it. Uh, I think Jonathan Isaac certainly is a part of it. Mo Bamba, you mentioned you're a little bit lower on him, and obviously the first 15 games of the season, uh, it's hard to blame you. Are you seeing flashes from Mo as of late? I think one of the sort of silver linings with the Vooch injury is it kind of freed Mo where he's not looking over his shoulder. Um, if I blow a defensive assignment here, Ken Burch is going to get my minutes. It feels because Mo is a very smart, precocious kid, and it felt like he was thinking way too much early in the season. And if nothing else, I think you're starting to see flashes of just, yo, you're going to play 17 minutes. Go out there. If you pick up four fouls, who cares? Go out there, be aggressive, alter shots. Um, going back to what you were saying about Aaron, do what it is we we want you to do, what it is you do well, which is you know use that athleticism, block some shots. I think for a young player, especially a young big, it's easy for the game to move too fast and for the physicality to sort of get the better of you. And I think lately you're just seeing Mo with a, a little bit of an edge and a lot more aggressive on the floor. Well, first off, yeah, I agree, I agree with you that, you know, Jonathan Isaac, I think, gets me mo- the most excited of anyone on the team of what he could potentially be. Um, and then Foles is definitely another guy that I that I think that they're going to and obviously should build around. Uh, I, I think the it is a blessing in disguise. I think the Vuce injury was a blessing in disguise, one, because, it, they, they become so dependent on them on him sometimes that I think it's good to sort of figure out who you are without him. So that, that way, like if things aren't going well, because I think a lot, what happened in that Toronto series or different games throughout the years, when, when Booch isn't having it, they, sometimes they get lost. And they don't really know what to do. And it really bogs the entire team down. So being able to have like a plan B, if Booch isn't hitting shots as your main guy is something that is, is incredibly valuable. And then the other side of that would be that it gets guys like Bamba and Ken Burch, you know, some more minutes. So I think it's been good. And I think Bob has looked better and a little bit more comfortable, but I've just, I mean, you know, I've heard, I know you said he's a like, nice guy. I'm, I'm, I'm sure he is. I've heard that from a bunch of people. I just, I didn't like the pick when they made it. I didn't really understand it. Um, I don't like that. He kind of stands around the three point line a lot, takes too many threes. I don't really like that at all. And I just think he, I, his skill set hasn't necessarily translated from what some people thought it would be, which is kind of like maybe a rim runner skilled guy um, and good defensively. I still think he gets a little bit lost defensively as well, which again, that's, that's something that, you know, happens to young players in the league, but I'm, I just have never been super high on him. So, you know, I think it could be a good thing here to see if he gets, or if he gets a decent string of games in, maybe his trade value goes up. Like, I don't know what the market would be like for him, but I imagine it's still decent. Cause he's still pretty young. I don't know if they would, if they'd be willing to move him or whatnot. I'm, 
if if I was the Magic, I would sell high, sell as high as I could. I don't know if you're obviously not going to you know get the fit number five pick again, but um, I, I just I just don't see it with him long term, especially as like a starting center in the league. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I I just don't see it. You know who my favorite player on the team is? Who? Michael Carter Williams. <laughs> Dude, I love Michael. I mean, it's, it's we're talking about it's funny we talk about the Sixers and. Like, you know, they have you know, two former lottery picks of theirs that are just, you know, absolutely succeeding uh, with the Orlando Magic. I wonder if Sixers fans are mad at us. I mean, probably not because they have Simmons and Embiid, but uh, I like to think maybe it's some part of they are. Well, it, it, and it is funny when you think about, like, it, could they draft a point guard that can shoot? I, I mean, like, how did they do this over the course no, of a decade? Yeah. Um, none, none of them are – let's just say that's not the strength of any of their games. Um, but MCW, Steve, he – I mean, Clifford can't keep him off the floor. Like, he has to have him as part of the rotation. Obviously, defensively, like, I, I love the idea that he basically, you know, reinvented his career as a, you know, uh, get up in your defender, and the jumper's not there, and it's probably never going to be there. But every time he's on the floor, he's making some sort of a winning play, and he's really the only guy on the team, or at least more so than anybody else, who has that edge and that nasty when he's out there, and this team needs that. I agree because even even though you know a guy like Isaac is, well, I think their best defender, one of the best defenders in the league, sure. he doesn't have that like mean streak in him, which is fine. Like, not the, I mean, that's not the end of the world. But um, I, I, Mike Carter Williams 100 percent has that. And one of my favorite like moments or I guess games of the year was the win over the Sixers, where he was just frustrating the hell out of Josh Richardson to the point where like they basically came to blows and were like almost about to fight on the court. Yeah. And you need a guy like that. I love having a guy like that who can get under the skin. Because, you know, a guy who's not a star player or just a rotation player that can get under the skin of, like, a, a major contributor or a star player on another team, like, that to me is so valuable. And he's not as horrific offensively as I think, you know, some people might expect. Like, sure. I fully trust him when he's on the court. And I think, you know, they have so many different guys. They're so versatile um, you know, they could they could switch almost everything. You know, with with Gordon, with Isaac, with uh, with uh, Michael Carter Williams. I mean, they, I, I I I like lineups like that that are interesting. I'm like, oh, you're always going to be like, okay, we don't have, do we have enough offense? Do we have enough offense? The answer is probably no. But if you're that like if you're that lethal and in people's faces defensively, it can frustrate the hell out of teams and take them out of their game, which I think is great. Which I think one of the best things that Michael Carter Williams does. So. I agree. I don't think, I, like Steve Clifford, there are times where he just has to be in the rotation because he's that valuable on the defensive side of the court. So uh, I, I have nothing but good things to say about Carter Williams. What's the ceiling for Isaac? Well, I, I've seen the, it's odd because I've seen so many different comparisons for him. Like I've seen the Kirilenko comparison. Um, you know, I, I, I think he is a you know, I, I think he's more of a four. Like, the, the problem is I don't like he and Gordon necessarily next to each other. Like, I don't think – I think they need somewhat of a more offensive three if he's playing the four or vice versa. And I think he can – I think he could win defensive player of the year. I don't think that's ridiculous. And I think that is his that is his ceiling. Um, and I think he'll probably be in the running this year. I just don't think the Magic will probably win enough games for that to happen. But, like, if you look at most of the metrics, I mean, this guy, he's he's one of the few guys that came close to a five-by-five five, five by five game recently. Um, you know, his shooting is improved uh, 100%. I think one of the big questions early on was, like, was he tough enough? And, you know, there were questions about that in his first couple of years, body through some injuries, you know, whatever, work ethic and, and all that stuff. But uh, everything that I've seen from him this year, uh, as I said before, I think he is the guy on the magic that I get the most excited about what he could potentially be. 
you know, if he can improve his ball handling, if he can improve his shot a little bit, like he already has just about everything else. And so I think, I think, the, I think there's all-star potential there, but I think more so defensive player of the year. And I do like the Andre Kirilenko uh, comparison. I think he can be that kind of like disruptive, you know, sort of three and elite sort of three and D guy at the three, four position. Yeah. If you do um, box plus minus and defensive box plus minus, He's authoring the second greatest season in Magic history uh, by DPPM. Uh, Bo Outlaw had like a 5.6, and he's got a 5.5 right now. So, and look, and that's sort of a rudimentary stat, but compared to like it's better. The best season Dwight ever had was 0910, and it was a five uh, flat DPPM. So, like, yep. I mean, the, the the numbers are obviously they they sort of pop um, defensively, but yeah, like if you watch him night to night, it's like okay, he can stay in front of point guards, and then he can body up fours. I I do wonder like. Ideally, where he fits, like positions don't matter anymore, I guess. But offensively, like what what do you want him to be? Um, Karolenko is not a bad comparison because probably moving without the ball and um, being that sort of slasher, and then obviously getting up and down in transition. That's I, I would think where a majority of his offense will come as his career pans out. Well, that's what that's funny too. Like you bring up the transition stuff. Like I think without boots like this team in a lot of ways is sort of built to run with Gordon and Isaac and both and all those guys like I and I think what bogged them down is boots yeah you know, he is somewhat your best offensive player so it has been fun to sort of see them try to do that a little bit more because I think that is what's good for him my my, my main question and I'll, I mean I'll ask you this like do you I, I just have questions if whether or not he and Gordon as your three four combo is is can be good enough offensively to 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 sort of outweigh uh or to sort of make all the defensive stuff worth it because I think, you know, one of those guys has to step their offensive game up to, you know, a somewhat all-star type level because both of them are obviously super versatile on the defensive end, but I'm not sure either of them make up for it in the production on the offensive side of the ball. And I I wonder, and that's why I've always wondered, like, do, do they need to sort of explore different opportunities? And I, w- I would keep Isaac over Gordon um, and because, just because I just don't know if they can, if they can succeed long-term together. Yeah, and it, I think when you look at them defensively, there's an element of, you know, redundancy, I guess. But I, but on the flip side, it goes back to what you were saying about, you know, do, do you want to have a super switchy team? And with a 3-4 combination like that, I mean, um, you know, not to mention a guy like Fultz or whatever uh, in the backcourt, you, you have so many options defensively. I guess it kind of depends on pick your poison. Like, do you – if you're going to have Nick Vucevic as your starting center um, – and you feel comfortable with the offense that your your backcourt is providing, then you know I think you can get away with it. But I mean, this team obviously is going to be built as long as Steve Clifford is the head coach with defense in mind first and foremost. And look, Aaron Gordon's a really good defender still, and and Ji is you know he's getting he's just scratching the surface of how good he can be, but he's still learning. I don't know. It's a it's a difficult question, and it's obviously something that uh, you know is above our pay grade. The other thing with Ji is this, like. The jumper is good and getting better, and he's working on that sort of mid-range, uh, the turnaround, Jay, and like if, if he can develop that a little bit more, then that might answer our question. Yeah, if he can start, if he can sort of start, you know, using his length and his size and bullying people a little bit, add some weight in the paint. Like I think he'll be able to sort of be a, a, a good guy on, on the boards and, and and get a lot of you know, get, get, be, just be a scrappy offensive player, not somebody that needs stuff run through him, which I think would would benefit it. like he'll be one of those sneaky guys like wow Isaac has 29 like how did that happen right but I think the the the, the thing that I always the, the thing that I've liked about him this year is I mean, there have been several times where you know he's been matched up against 
some, you know, all-star level guys. I know Porzingis is having a great year, but when they played the Mavs, I mean, Porz- he absolutely just destroyed Porzingis. And yep. Porzingis didn't want any part of Jonathan Isaac in that entire game. So he'll do that from time to time. Where he'll just, I mean, he'll just take guys completely out of their element and out of their games. And it's it's really awesome to watch. And the jump shot is funny. Like he has a very strange jump shot too. Like he almost like shoots it on the way up. Right. And it's 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 really odd, but but it. It goes. I mean, it's, it's. It's. I don't think it's like you know something that's you know going to hinder him. I think it's something that can be successful, and it seems to be all right for him. And it's only going to get better. So I, I, I listen. I think you know. I think he is an elite defensive player who, if he picks his offensive game up, can be an all star. Yeah, and I and I don't know how when you spin it forward. Like I, I'm not crazy about playing him as a big. Like you know, if you, if you want to do small ball with a five, fine, depending on who's opposite him. But I think you know. I think you need to accentuate the fact that he is so fast and so like swift laterally. Uh, I don't like the idea of him banging night in and night out. Yeah, I don't think that's his. Yeah, that's not. I mean, he's not gonna. You know, he's not gonna. Yeah, I'm trying to think of like an example. Like, uh, you know, he's like Jokic or somebody like that. Like or MB. Like, he, that's not his thing. Like he's, you know, between he and Gordon, like you want to just be able to switch on all the wings and be able to just disrupt sort of passing lanes, things like that. And that's what he does well. And then anytime somebody drives to the hoop, his help defense or just you know, chase down blocks or whatever. Like, that's what his bread and butter is. I don't think, like, you know, anybody backing him down. Because he still is a pretty slender dude. Like, I think, you know, people could probably be able to back him down if there's a, a, a traditional center in the league, which there aren't that many anywhere a, anymore anyway. But, I, I you know, if, if I, I could see in spurts if they go small and he goes to the five in the same way that, like, you know, but again, he's not like a Draymond type like we talked about with Aaron, Aaron Gordon. Because Draymond is going to be able to hold his own and not, you know, let guys do that. I'm not sure that's sort of Isaac's game. But in spurts, just for you know, just for to re- try to wreak havoc and switch things up, I could I, I like him as a small ball five in some ways. Tell me about the podcast, Scal and Pals. It's got to be fun. Yeah, listen, you know, it's uh, Scal is. It, it's amazing how many people uh, around the league just love this dude, and I knew that kind of going in, and I knew him a little bit just because we've had him on different shows. But you know, we you know we started the show in September and. There's so many ex-players, current players, like guys that we have on that just absolutely love this dude. And, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's like one of the ultimate cult heroes in the history of the NBA. He's the White Bomber, right? So, you know, the show has been really fun. And the good thing is, you know, I, you, know you know me. I've worked with, you know, Rosillo in the, in, in the past and, and Will Kane. And those guys think a lot like me. Like, we think of things from, you know, the fan media perspective. Mm-hmm. And Scal is the exact opposite of that, which I think is good. And we sort of check each other a little bit on that. Um and, you know, he, you know, and one of the other great parts is, you know, because of all the relationships that he has with people around the league, like we're able to have Kendrick Perkins on a bunch of times a week, Ryan McDonough, former Sun Jim, as I mentioned, Karan Butler. So we've got a bunch of guys that are regulars on the show. So it's been a lot of fun. Um, I'm really happy that, uh, like, you know, you, you know, you know me, I've always just been sort of like a, like mainly a hoops guy. So it's, it's really fun night in and night out just to be able to concentrate on watching hoops and watching basketball in the NBA. So, uh, I, you know, I can't say enough about it. And, uh, yeah, it's been a fun start. Radio.com, and you do it every day, right? 11 to 1? Yeah, every day, 11 to 1. You could uh, you can either do it on Radio.com, the Radio.com app, or you know we turn it into a podcast every day wherever you find podcasts. Uh, and you can follow it. It's at Scallon Pals, and make sure you follow Steve Cerruti as well as at Cerruti, C-E-R-U-T-I. Thanks, dude. This is fun. I know. Anytime. Appreciate it. All right. There he is, Steve Cerruti. Jake Chapman here with you on the Magic Weekly Podcast.